But Obama wants to own Lost the word fair in the phrase middle class. And yet, who has done more destruction to working people in this country than Obama? Why isn't it proper to point out the Democrat base is made up, for the most part, of the nation's losers? Free enterprise can do a better job of producing the things that people need than government can. Less government and less taxes and more freedom for the people. Iran, Cuba... Venezuela, these countries are tiny compared to the Soviet Union. Bring myself in the American flag, never give up the freedom my pop fought for us to have, never give it back. Same with the gas, you can never take that, never take that. On this Memorial Day, as our nation honors its unbroken line of fallen heroes, and I see many of them in, in the audience here today.
When we do Internet Talk Radio, we receive support from a great many areas. We have listener support, of course, and some who help with the promoting. One group that often goes unrecognized are the wives of Internet Talk Radio hosts. They are the ones who tolerate our dalliances and the time we invest in our hobbies. Well, this is one way we can properly recognize those who are closest to us by broadcasting their sincere sentiments regarding our passions. Are you going to stay up all night? You have family, you know. You're always at that computer. How much money do you make doing that dumbass radio show? You're not the only ones who live there, you know. You better come and eat. I'm not bringing it in there. If you haven't been listening to... All right. Good evening, folks. Welcome to another full action-packed hour of the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Today's date. (laughs) Yeah, today's date. Do we need to be politically correct with the date? Today's date, February 29th, A.D., Anno Domini, 2012, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun, and I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Let me start this off just the right way. Am I Am I black enough for you? Because for some folks, I'm not black enough. And for others, I'm too black. And for some others, I'm African American. And then, then for some, I'm, I'm a Negro. What's the political correctness? What's it all about? When did it start? How did we get to this point? Well, we're going to kick it off right here and right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less government. Am I black enough? Am I black enough for you? That's the question. Pure Negro? Or am I colored? Or am I black? Uh, We're going to talk about it tonight. So we're going to get our groove on, and we're going to talk about how black I am. Am I black enough for ya? Schoolie D. Some folks say I'm a sellout. Some say, I'm white. Am I black enough for you? Am I 
Uh, uh, am I black enough for ya? Well, <laughs> let's ask somebody who should know. The blackest man I know, now that James Brown is gone, my main man, T-Mont, you heard him before. So we're going to find out what T-Mont thinks about being black versus being African-American. Back for another drive time. I need to set the record straight on a few things. The title of this message is African-American is as offensive as nigger. Hmm. To me. Now, I want y'all to understand where I'm coming from. All of you lily-livered white folks caught up in political correctness, and all of you Negroes or black people caught up in trying to redefine yourself because someone else has a hyphenated term of citizenship. If you refer to me as an African-American on any of my videos of my, my channel, I'm going to block you. I am not an African-American. I have never been to Africa. Africa is a continent to begin with. And for you idiots who are going to come back, well, America is a continent. North America, fool, I'm talking about the United States of America. That is a country. Get that. So, Africa as a continent offers no citizenship papers. And I've never been there. Neither have my parents. And also, understand this. If it were an appropriate term to call black folks, then what the hell do you do about the, the white folks that are born in Africa, on the continent of Africa? You going to call them African-American too? Jesus Christ. You both kill me with that. Don't call me. African-American. I'm not an African-American. I'm an American. A U.S. citizen and proud to be one. T-Mont out. Greetings, folks. T-Mont. <laughs> T-Mont. Yeah. T-Mont, you can find him on YouTube. And you know what I love about him is that he tells it like it is. You know what? I have said this so many times to a variety of folks. I am not an African-American. I have never been there. And my ancestry is so far removed from Africans that it would be disingenuous and an insult to Africans to label myself as African-American. In fact, I have a cruise coming up on the 24th of March, and I will be wearing a kilt in honor on, on one of the formal nights or maybe two depending on how my kilt is received, I am going to wear a kilt, a, not a Scottish kilt, but a Celtic kilt in honor of my Celtic heritage. Yes, there were some Celtics in the woodpile. Yes, and so in honor of those folks, I will wear a Scottish kilt, no, I'm sorry, a Celtic kilt on cruise night, on one of the formal nights on the cruise that's coming up. I am not an African-American. I have never been able to put it as well as T-Mont just put it. I mean, he put it down, didn't he? Now, I got this topic because, I, you know, I love to be I, – I like to be honest about, you know, my, my thoughts, you know, especially when it comes to original thought. I got this idea from an article in The American Thinker. 
and the, the title of the article is The Effect of Political Correctness on Politics. And it's written by my main man, a good friend of mine, Warren Beatty. Not the actor, but he's of some renown. And he wrote, and we'll get into it in just a minute. But before we get into the article on the American Thinker, which provoked a great deal of thought from me, I reached out and I gave I gave uh, Warren a call and, and I talked to him about the article and uh, I told him that I'd be mentioning it on the show. He is going to tune in and listen at some point tonight. But let me give you some examples right now before we really get into it of political correctness gone wild. I mean, an injustice. Well, you'll you'll hear you'll hear it in just a minute. Dig this. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. One of the most outrageous examples of political correctness run amok unfolded on the small college campus of Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, or IUPUI. Custodial worker and part-time student, Keith John Sampson was accused and found guilty of racial harassment of his African-American co-workers for the simple act of reading a book. That's right. At IUPUI, the Affirmative Action Office, has determined that it's possible to racially harass someone by silently reading a book. Keith John Sampson is a janitor and a student at IUPUI, and on his break he was, on his own time, reading a book which apparently some of his co-workers considered uh, an offense, and they considered the book was harassing them. Keith Sampson is a, a student janitor, uh, just credits away from, uh, from getting his degree, and he was reading a book, um, and he was found guilty without a hearing of racial harassment for reading that book. My name is Keith John Sampson. I'm a communication studies student. I've been going to school here off and on for 20 years. And uh, four years ago, I took a job as a janitor on campus full, to work full-time to pay for my books and living expenses. My habit would be on my work breaks, my lunch break and my uh, time off, would just sit, be to sit and read. A lot of people do that. Some people will read the newspaper. Um, people read the Bible, just whatever they want, cosmopolitan. And so uh, my enjoyment would be to sit there and read literature. The book was Notre Dame versus the Klan. It celebrated the defeat of the Klan in a 1926 riot. And even though he tried over and over again to explain that this book is actually celebrating the defeat of the Klan, he was found guilty of racial harassment nonetheless. Keith Sampson's troubles all started when an African-American co-worker witnessed Keith silently reading his book. She came in the break room and saw me reading the book, and she mentioned to me just casually that she didn't like the Klan and I agreed with her. I said, I agree. I said, the Klan was terrible. And I, I tried to, I thought it was the segue to talk about the book. I said, I didn't know that they had ruled Indiana. And, and so I thought that was the end of it. She didn't say anything more. She may have been offended by the book, but she certainly didn't say anything to me. Um, there was no conversation. There was no questions ever put to me. Why are you reading this book on the Klan from her? 
My name is Todd Tucker. I'm the author of Notre Dame versus the Klan. Uh, it's a book that describes a riot that took place between the students of Notre Dame and members of the Ku Klux Klan in May of 1924. I don't think the contents of my book are, are controversial at all. I mean, it's about a historical episode that happened in Indiana. So, you know, I, I think that it was just one of the other employees was was offended by the you know the the imagery on the cover, which there are burning crosses and robed Klansmen on the cover. And so, like I said, they just said, well, okay, we, we declare this to be racial harassment and, you know, no argument can sway us. The offended colleague or co-worker of Keith John Sampson's was functionally illiterate. All she could see on the cover was KKK or Klan, and she took exception to it, and she could not read beyond the cover. And so it was a case of her illiteracy, which prompted her unjustifiable anger. A complaint was filed with the Affirmative Action Office, and Keith John Sampson was ordered to appear. I had no trepidation about going there. I brought the book with me. I thought, these are educated people. They will know the difference between somebody that is in the Klan as opposed to somebody who's trying to educate themselves on what the Klan stands for. I brought the book in. I met with this woman, uh, Marguerite Watkins is her name. And we sat down and we had a conversation. She asked me, you know, about the book. I tried to show her the book. I pro-offered the book to her. She didn't seem interested in looking at it. I knew I was in a little bit of trouble when she started looking away, not making eye contact anymore and yawning. It was as if she had already made up her mind. It bothered me greatly that the Affirmative Action Office didn't, didn't want to know and didn't care about kind of what Keith's motives were with the book. Their, their stance seemed to be that uh, it's it's racial harassment if we say it's racial harassment and you know don't bother us with the facts a few weeks later I received a letter in the mail saying that I was found guilty of racial harassment for repeatedly reading the book Notre Dame versus the Klan how the fighting Irish defeated the Ku Klux Klan by Todd Tucker Keith uh, wrote me a letter and uh, I, when I first read it I, I was certain that there must be more to the story that it couldn't be as ridiculous as he described but he enclosed the letter he got from the Affirmative Action Office at IUPUI, which made it pretty clear that his crime was reading my book. The Affirmative Action Office threatened serious disciplinary action if Keith didn't change his reading habits to meet the AAO's repressive arbitrary standards. On review of this matter, we conclude that your conduct con constitutes racial harassment and that you demonstrate disdain and insensitivity to your coworkers you used extremely poor judgment by insisting on openly reading the book related to a historically and racially abhorrent subject in the presence of your black co-workers. During your meeting with Marguerite Watkins, Assistant Affirmative Action Officer, you were instructed to stop reading the book in the immediate presence of your co-workers, and when reading the book, to sit apart from the immediate proximity of these co-workers. Please be advised any future substantiated conduct of a similar, similar nature could result in serious disciplinary action. There was no way he could rebut this. There was no, uh, there was no excuse. Uh, simply because people had actually literally judged a book by its cover, um, he would now have uh, racial harassment on his file forever. Now, it's important to understand how serious of a finding that is. If you have a racial harassment finding on your file, 
uh, people are going to assume you are actually uh, a part of the Klan or doing Klan-like actions rather than reading a book celebrating the defeat of the Klan. Um, so the university did this lightly. They did it without due process, and they really, uh, you know, potentially ruined a loyal student's career. I had tears in my eyes. I was crying because this was not me, and I didn't know how to explain to anybody that it was not me. I'm a communication studies student, and I couldn't communicate that I'm not a Klansman. And a moment later, I read the letter a second time that night, and I started laughing hysterically because I realized this won't stand. I mean, this, you know, this is not true, and I have to, you know, um, speak out. Somehow I had to find a way to find allies. Keith reached out to the Indiana ACLU, who pressured the Affirmative Action Office to write a second letter to Mr. Sampson. It was a half-hearted attempt to back down without admitting any wrongdoing. The second letter was, was very ambiguous. It didn't mention the book. It just said they were unable to reach a final conclusion. It was the perception of your coworkers that you were engaging in conduct for the purpose of creating a hostile atmosphere of antagonism. If the conduct was intended to cause disruption to the work environment, such behavior would be subject to action by the university. However, because I cannot draw any final conclusion in this instance, no such adverse disciplinary action has been or will be taken in connection with the circumstances at hand. But why couldn't they draw a final conclusion? The final conclusion is that I was not committing racial harassment by reading an anti-Klan history book. That is the final conclusion. That's when FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, came to the aid of Keith John Sampson. FIRE sees harassment abused time and time again by universities. Um, Op-eds get called harassment. Posters get called harassment. This is the first time that I've seen merely reading a book called harassment, which, uh, but uh, this harassment rationale gets used to justify speech codes and to justify uh, the punishment of the most innocuous speech imaginable. You cannot commit racial harassment for reading a book that is in their university's own library. It is impossible. I'm standing on the campus of IUPUI right now. I'm in front of the library, and uh, one of the many absurdities of this case is the fact that the very book uh, at issue in Keith John's case, this book right here by Todd Tucker, is available in the university's own library. So apparently the university uh, seems to have no problem with students reading this book on their free time and uh, doing things of that nature, but as long as it doesn't offend somebody who's nearby. I had no idea affirmative action would get involved to decide what books are acceptable by students or workers to read on a university campus. I mean, it's mind-boggling to think that, that they could get involved in that. It was this kind of willful, uh, this willful crusading ignorance at IUPUI that, and, and it was also very indicative to me, it was very clear to me that that office had far too much power and far too little oversight if they were comfortable sending a... I never thought this day would ever happen. I won't have to worry about putting gas in my... And I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all. I'm blicking black, blacker than black, black, I'm blacker than black, yo, because I'm black, and I'm black. Yo, I'm black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blicking the black, 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 I'm black, 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 y'all, and I'm black, y'all. 
And I'm black, and I'm back. All right. It's me, Dr. C. Robert Jones, your host for this evening. You know, I've had this happen to me. Some of the things that happen uh, to this fine gentleman on the campus of that that disgraceful university happened to me a couple of times. It happens to me actually all the time when I call into WVON 1690, the talk of Chicago in my hometown of Chicago, Illinois. I call into the show a lot, and uh, usually I call in when Santita Jackson's show is on from 9 till noon. Santita Jackson is the one Jackson person of the jet from the Jesse Jackson clan that's even remotely attractive. So I call into her show every now and then. Now, she is as dumb as a box of rocks. I mean, literally, go out and collect a box of rocks. Put them in a a shoe box, and that box of rocks has more brains than Santita Jackson. She is just plain old dumb. Good old-fashioned dumb. She made a remark just before the uh, election for president that the Klan was started in Monroe County in Indiana, and she used that reference to state that Monroe County was racist and would not vote for a black candidate, i.e. Barack Hussein Obama, because the Klan was started there. Of course, I called into Santita Jackson's show. I couldn't wait. My fingers fumbled as I dialed the number. And I said, Santita, once I finally got on the air, you need to go ahead and read up on stuff you're talking about. Because if you're going to be on the radio, you have a responsibility to at least know the facts if you're going to open your mouth to speak. Of course, I thought that she cut me off at that point, but she was too dumb to even do that. So she allowed me to continue. I said, Santita, the Klan was started in a little town called Pulaski, Tennessee. I know this. Most people know where the Klan was started. It was not started in Monroe County in Indiana, where Indiana University happens to be. At least give your listeners the facts. Pulaski, Tennessee also happens to be the birthplace of my grandfather. Of course, she begrudgingly accepted the correction. But after I hung up, She had some choice words. He's not black. He's not one of us. I know he calls in all the time. I don't think he's black. I don't think he's African American. Oh, of course, and the callers call in all the time, and they'll say, no, he's not one of us. He's one of them. One of them. He's not not of our persuasion. Everybody knows he's white. Every time he call, every time he calls in, he tries to pretend he's black, but he's white. Simply because I corrected a stupid remark on Santina Jackson's show, as I do quite often, and I enjoy doing so. But hey, that's what friends are for. Santina's relatively good looking compared to her siblings and her father and her hideous mother. So at the risk of being politically incorrect, I call in because 
you know, I have visions of getting Tantina in the sh- in the sack, and I think the best way to do it is to berate her <laughs> and call her stupid. <laughs> you know, like the, the the little boy and girl on the playground where, where where you pull a girl's ponytail. Well, I I'm jesting, folks. Really, Santita is completely and utterly clueless. How she got the radio show? Well, one can only guess. It must be the family name. But hey, uh, we have a caller on the line, so we're going to go ahead and take the call. Caller, you're on with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Brother Robert, I'm going to tell you, me and Santita, have, I've become legendary on our show. We have uh, really? battled innumerable times. I know her. I've met her several times. I'm In fact, though, oddly enough, despite the fact that we never agree about anything, she considers me one of her favorite callers. She loves me. The same here. Do you, do you want to get her in the sack too, Sarge, or no? <laughs> I think I could have, but, you know, <laughs> I didn't want the grief. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she knows, you know, you just tell her, uh, you know, Larry, because mm-hmm. I use my middle name when I call into her. She yeah. knows me well. Yeah. Just, just say, do you know Larry? Uh, and has Larry called you lately? Oh, she knows me well. I mean, she, and I got to agree with your assessment of her. As much as I do have a lingering fondness for her, she is really at the least blockhead. Sometimes it's impossible to get across to her because she's so embedded in liberalism. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But but let me ask you this, Sarge. Do you get uh, mistaken for being white like me or no? Oh, no, 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 no. She didn't have done that. Uh, I, I was initially uh, – all of the callers, you know, because I also call in the Celine Moore kill on WVON on the weekends. And mm-hmm. I'm also famous on his show. Me and him had legendary battles on the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, so I'm, pretty, I'm fairly well known around VON, but they yeah. just think I'm a handkerchief head, inauthentic, servile, spit, lick spittle Uncle Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. They, they, they never really doubted I was black. I've I just see. been infected okay. with too much whiteness. Well, I tell you, I've been listening to WVON since I was a small kid when Purvis Spann, the blues man, had his show. And, of course, you know, he went on to, uh, you know, to buy the operation. And I think still uh, Melanie uh, Spann is running the joint right now. I'm not sure, though, last I heard. Yeah. Well, I I tell you now, if you want to really have a nice battle, Celine Moore Kill comes on the weekend. He's he's essentially a Marxist, Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat pan-Africanist. But he is at least smart. The guy does have some – he does have intelligence, and he's well-informed. Uh, yeah. You know, he, you know, he, he can you – know, there's little few aspects of history that you can bring with him that he wouldn't be capable of debating you on. So if you really want to uh, – uh, uh, you know, ba- listen to him on the weekend. He, he's always entertaining and funny. The scholars are rabid. Okay. But he's fair. He knows me quite well, and me and him have gone around the ringer innumerable times. I mean uh, – and he has a lot of respect for me, even though he doesn't understand why I think the way I do. He just can't understand it. He says he's so smart. He knows so much. He'd be mm-hmm. such an ass to just leave that conservatism behind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know. Listen to him. He, I, I, he's entertaining on weekends, uh, 7 uh, Eastern Time on VONs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mm-hmm. might want to catch it. I, but, I, you know, I sure you will. Political correctness. And, you know, I mean, look. Political correctness, when I first heard of it, it was kind of a joke as I witnessed all of its absurdities manifesting themselves on college campuses, the workplace, and societal institutions. But if you think about it, its origins are deadly serious. Yeah. It's an outgrowth of an ideology that's left tens of millions of dead people in Europe, Asia, and Africa. It ain't really funny, even though it seems to be. It's deadly serious. 
and no, you analyze it uh, historically and analytically, it's economic classical Marxism translated into cultural terms. That's what – and, and, and political correctness is the primary tool of cultural Marxism. Yeah. You know, when it can't come, come to power by benefit of raw force, political correctness is one of the primary tenets they use in democracies in order to insinuate themselves into the body politic. And, 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 you know, Marxism, political correctness, they're essentially totalitarian. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. revealed in college campuses, as I call them, just ivy-covered North Koreas. You know, uh, a, a student or faculty member who dares to challenge any of the conventions they've established, whether it be by gender feminists, homosexual rights activists, favorite racial identity groups, or any of the notable anointed victim sex that political correctness is ordained, they'll find themselves in campus judicial uh, trouble in some sort of a, a, a vaguely uh, a convened star chamber. You, you know what? You're exactly right. And you know what? There's, there's, there are two sides to it, though, really. There's a humorous side, uh, uh, you know, where Gloria Steinem once pronounced a woman who was pregnant as being parasitically repressed. And then there's this side where... <laughs> <laughs> then, then there's this side where you know you have what happened to this gentleman on this college campus, which is deadly serious and could affect his life for you know for a long time. You know, a person who's bald is comb free. You know, a, 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 an, an immigrant is a newcomer. <laughs> you know, man, you got to understand. You know, look, we look at uh, classical economic Marxism. You got certain groups like workers, peasants. Mm-hmm. They're a priori good. And groups and, and like the bourgeoisie and the capitalists are essentially evil. Now, in yeah. the politically correct universe, you've got presumptively good people like feminist women, blacks, Hispanics, homosexuals, whatever you know, the, the, the soup de jour of, of, of their ideology is for the day. These mm-hmm. groups are victims. They're determined victims and therefore automatically good. Now, white males are automatically evil unless they otherwise prove themselves not to be by the politically correct light, like the homosexual activists. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 they become the equivalent of the bourgeoisie. I'm talking about white males as a group in economic Marxism, you know, and, and political correctness. They're like the equivalent of the bourgeoisie in economic Marxism. And and both of these folks, the politically correct and the, uh, in the cultural Marxists, they rely on expropriation. When classical Marxists take over countries, like say they did in, in Russia, they expropriate the bourgeoisie to confiscate their stuff. And when college, you know, cultural Marxists take over the college campus, they expropriate quotas for admissions. When a white or Asian with superior objective qualifications is denied admittance to a college in favor of a black or Hispanic with significantly less objective qualifications, the white student then gets appropriated, or the Asian student gets appropriated, expropriated. And when exactly. a white applicant for public service jobs denies or a favorite applicant in the politically correct universe, with significantly lower objective ratings, that white applicant is expropriated. Expropriation is a useful tool for the classical Marxists and the cultural Marxists. In order to achieve their goals of ultimate power and to pretty much control the population in a sort of not-so-heavy-handed way. Oh, it's heavy-handed as hell. Look what I did to this kid for reading the book. Yeah, exactly. You guys read the book. Quietly, a book he probably could have gotten out of any public library. What have you been reading, Mein Kampf? <laughs> no God. doubt, no doubt. I'll I tell mean, you, I mean, it, it yeah. is an attempt to force you to correct your thinking before you even think. 
That's what it's thought, literally. It's thought control. It's thought control. It's uh, it's 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 not all that different from what occurred uh, uh, at the beginning stages of the reign of Adolf Hitler. And I've been talking about this, you know, for months now. We are moving uh, toward uh, a system where uh, we're, we we won't be. There are certain words we won't be allowed to use, books we won't be allowed to read, or at least it'd be heavily frowned upon, and there'll be consequences if we do. Um, we live in a we live in a society now where you know uh, stewardess is offensive. Uh, using the word handicap is offensive. Uh, you know, it, it's offensive. I, it's amazing to me how, and I keep using that word. It's amazing to me how we are. Uh, th- this country is is turning itself into a socialist Marxist. Uh, country where we're where we're uh we're, we're we're being controlled and we're asked to police our own our, our thoughts and our actions our, our words our deeds everything has been brought to a, a point where you know we're we can no longer actually be ourselves anywhere you know we we you know all we're missing right now are those damn gray uh jumpsuits that every you know oh, you, yeah and the, and the uh uh the, the Nehru collars yeah, but, but yeah. You, you know what, uh, brother, brother Doc? You know, you ought to see this email I sent to uh, this one uh, uh, woman at during the Duke '88 thing. Remember the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Duke lacrosse deal? Yeah. And there was a, a group of uh, uh, um, uh, faculty, campus professors, and instructors that wrote an e- email speaking about the horrible uh, object, uh, sexual uh, objectification. And exploitation mm-hmm. by white male elites of a of an exploited sex worker, Crystal Magnum. And I sent this email after these kids had been exonerated. And you know, I sent an email to one member of the '88. Uh, I'd like to ask your indulgence. It's two pages long. If sure. I can read it, so you yeah, can we've got see time. Uh, what happened as a result of it. And 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 the response I got from this Stalinist woman. After I sent her this email. Now, remember, I'm not a member of the campus, and this is the way she responded to me. Imagine how she treats the students on her campus. Now, this is what I wrote to him. Uh, I was outraged by the arrogant and presumptive proclamation by 88 members of Duke University. They took out an ad in a campus newspaper connecting the accused Duke lacrosse players with intimidation and racism. Accordingly, I sent two group emails to the Duke 88. The only response I received was from one Paula McClain, who, among her other offices, is a co-director, Center for the Study of Race, Ethnicity, and Gender in the Social Sciences of Duke. And below is the second iteration of the two messages I sent. And this is what I sent to her. This is how I wrote to her initially. The Duke rape case is a crystallization, pardon the pun, of all the corruption to the rule of law, linear reasoning, and presumptive innocence engendered by political correctness and cultural Marxism, Marxism, particularly that personified by campus professoral, professorial elites. It has added a new phrase to the lexicon to be Nifong. The egregious conduct of Nifong will be addressed in other venues. As an Illinois State Policeman for 28 years, I could say with near complete confidence that a case like this with these facts would never have passed felony review with even the worst state's attorney I ever dealt with. The most important lesson to be gleaned from this is that Tawani Brawley syndrome is no substitute or proper analysis of objective fact. I love it when liberals like you are hoisted on the petard of political correctness, racial identity politics, gender-determined feminism, and what I have called Tawana Brawley syndrome. 
Tawana syndrome exists when one takes a historical reality, such as the marginalization of innocent blacks within a once overtly racist criminal justice system, or the past subjugation of women, or any number of other offenses, and attempts to apply it to a contemporary situation wherein the objective facts don't apply. Example, O.J. Simpson, Rodney King, Anita Hill, etc. In the Brawley case, Al Sharpton was continually referencing the 400 years of unrequited oppression for black women and their inability to obtain redress within a racist criminal justice system. That fact had absolutely nothing to do with the Tawana Brawley case. Now, none of this would have happened if an unscrupulous DA had not chosen to exploit racial identity politics using an apparently mentally ill, mentally Ill woman for his political gain. And if the Duke 88, the Durham black community, the radical feminists, and the racial grievance industry merchants had sifted through the facts objectively and not attempted to stuff them into lurid postmodern meta-narratives of privileged white male elite sexually exploiting black women. But the attendant historical overtones of plantation sexual abuse were probably too much for them to resist. I have increasingly noted that fact and truth present no barrier to the fanatical cultural Marxists. My question now is this. Will those who stampeded to rush to judge and vilify these innocent men now arrange a meeting with them, a la Don Imus, to apologize and create a genuine hour of healing? I hope so, but I don't think so, because often being a liberal means never having to say you're sorry. And aside from the fact that petty tyrants like you have turned U.S. college campuses into little ivy-covered North Koreas, I expect you are seeking to appropriate politically correct bonus points and obtain instant moral authority by championing the cause of the, quote, other, unquote, marginalized black exotic dancer against racist male chauvinist members of the privileged white elite. A case of cultural Marxist class warfare that boomerang. God, how I love it so. And even though I despise the racial identity politics that mindlessly multicultural cultural Marxists like you have fostered amongst my people to our ultimate detriment, I would like to say that I am a black man living in the heart of Chicago's Southside ghetto who values the rule of law and truth as best as it can be objectively and humanly determined. It would be fitting if those guys get a pretty penny from you. Now, this is what she wrote back to me. Now, look, what I wrote was pretty harsh. Yeah. It wasn't beyond the bond of discourse, was it, that I used a single foul word, curse word, threat, or anything? No, it was filled with flowery language, actually. Yeah, actually, but this is what she wrote back to me. Now, check this out. Your continued messages have now moved into the realm of harassment, and oh. I reported you to your service provider for using abusive and inappropriate language in your email, which was sent through their servers. Signed, Paula D. McLean, Professor of Political Science, Professor of Public Policy, Department of Political Science, Co-Director, Center for the Study of Race, Ethnicity, and Gender in the Social Sciences, Duke University. So I had to write her one more thing back. This is only a couple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. I was unaware that the two mails or emails I sent you had caused you such distress. I wish to tender my apologies and desire to assure you that you shall receive no further messages from me. But since you are a college professor, I was acting upon the putative assumption that university is about exchange of ideas. And I thought that my admittedly critically gloating message might prompt a suitable rejoinder. My missive was harsh, yes, even severe. But it does contain concepts and ideas that, however offensive, ought to provoke a suitably barbed retort rather than a threat of server censorship. Alas, I shall have to reconsider the notion that the campus is about the free exchange of ideas. But this is precisely what I was getting at in my email. If you ever manage to free yourself from your leftist dogmatic doctrine, maybe you'll realize that. 
Now, this is the best evidence of thought policing that must be extant on all too many college campuses. If she could threaten me with this, someone unconnected with Duke University, just imagine the act she wields over dissenting students. And I'm going to say it, Doc, political correctness is the intellectual scourge of our time, the worst threat to academic freedom that I have ever seen. Oh, there's no doubt about that. You know, uh, Ann Coulter said it in her book, How to Talk to a Liberal If You Must. Uh, Liberals love to argue, just as long as there's nobody arguing back. And uh, this is what you experienced is a prime example of that. She would have loved – the professor would have loved to have gotten her point across and gotten no response. And her writings – well, you, you, if you if if she wrote wrote to you and you wrote to her back wrote back what she wrote to you that you were appalled and and uh, all harassment and all that crap, she would have been dumbfounded. How could you possibly take my words? She, I I assume she would have thought you know as anything like that. And, but you know, if I I have experienced this myself many times. You know, either they want to stop discourse once the, the the facts are put into play, or they'll label you as either you know uh, an elitist, uh, a harasser, a racist, or you know what what you experienced is what a lot of uh, conservative uh, uh, thinkers experience, uh, uh, debaters. Uh, it's it's par for the course, in my opinion. Oh, it is. And you know, as, as your show tonight is remarking on the effect of political – in this case, in the Duke case, it literally led to the persecution of innocent young men without mm-hmm. a shred of objective evidence and a, and a mountain of evidence pointing to the fact this woman was totally making it up. Exactly. Totally lying about it. In the, in the same vein like as Tawana Brawley. In the same vein as Tawana Brawley and people like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson fell for it again. For a second time, I remember when Jesse uh, uh, went visited the campus and and and, and uh, remarked to the media that he was going to see to it that uh, his organization provided funds so that the the young woman could continue her education, uh, that uh, they were going to provide scholarship money for her so that she could you know um, go about uh, you know uh, getting her degree without having to uh, relegate herself to such uh, types of work that. That uh, got her in that position. She was fully supported. Uh, and you it, do know, Doc, she's right now serving time for having murdered a boyfriend, don't you? Yes, I do. And <laughs> and we don't hear from Jesse or or <laughs> no. Al, uh, on this <laughs> issue any, anymore. No, God. no. Yeah, it, the effect on political correctness is startling, especially with this Marxist usurper in the White House who uses and and I, look as far as I'm concerned. His prime, he's not a race man. Now, don't anybody think no. uh, 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 Barack Obama is a race man? It's totally missing the mark. Barack Obama is a Marxist. He uses class warfare first and foremost. And if the races happen to be the fault line upon which he can pit people against each other, that's fine with him. It's not because he's so much a race man. It's because that's just a, that's just a convenient tool for him to use. And, uh, and he clearly... Political correctness is all part of it. All, all too often, though, he will let others use the political correctness and the race warfare on his behalf. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. If it if it if it if it fits his goal, and it, it and it and it toes the line that he wants towed, 
and we all know what that line is. He'll he he he'll he'll condone it, you know, silently uh, for the most part, because as you stated, and and I I, I concur wholeheartedly, he couldn't give a damn about that stuff. That's not his. That's not his. His. That's not where his his agenda lies. You know, and and people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, they know that. They knew that, which is why you know they were calling him Barack the Magic Negro and all kinds of other stuff. You know why Jesse said that he wanted to cut his balls off because they know that he doesn't. You know, it's he's not a Jesse Jackson. He's not. He's not that kind of community organizer. You know, he's he's not taking it to the streets. You know, he, like that. So, yeah, you, you and and you know what I, and and it, and it bothers it bothers these people that he's not that way. You know, it, it does. And, yeah, yeah, look at all all the all the black people say, why is he doing more for the black community? Why is yeah. he? Oh, look, he knows he's pretty much got him, most of them, the vast majority, in his pocket. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have to do anything for them. They'll, they'll serve the useful function. Has his shock troops when he's ready? He's ready to rally them. He's not going to do anything explicitly for them because, in fact, he's not think about it. I mean, he's the president of the United States. He's not community organizer for the black people. At least stop! Stop your whining! Stop your complaining! Yeah. Get yeah, get on out there. He, he talks down to black folks, just like Jesse Jackson said during those unfortunate remarks that were caught uh, um, within earshot of the public when he said, you know, he'd like to, he's talking down to black folks. He'd like to cut his balls off. Uh, And then not so long after that, he gets up to the podium and he tells black folks to stop whining, stop complaining, get off your couch and, you know, all that stuff. Political correctness has gone crazy. My, My whole point here is that this, we've, we've seen it all before. History is repeating yeah. itself, yeah. And 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 people are not they're not seeing it, they're not seeing it, and not, not at all. Have you heard about the Major League Baseball uh, now trying to be politically correct with the Houston Astros, who 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 will be playing an exhibition game not so long from now, had uh, donned their throwback. Oh um, yes. yes, yeah, and the, and, the and Houston, yeah, the, uh, yeah, they used to be have. A pair of uh, single action Army forty five revolvers on their on their yeah. Uh, yeah they were they were the and Colt forty fives yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, they moved them uh, yeah. you, you know it's 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 really like I said this is all astounding the, the, what these people do uh, and it's, it's also inevitable and and political correctness is is just something that is just every metastasizing every the worst example I think I've seen of it lately. NASCAR is going to have the General Lee Dodge Charger, the orange one, mm-hmm. in their in their in their uh, pregame things, the uh, promotions, because of the Confederate flag on its rooftop. You go to you go to NASCAR, you go to NASCAR, any NASCAR you want to see. I, I would probably think Confederate flags out uh, uh, outnumber uh, American flags probably three to one. Yeah, yeah. If you go to a NASCAR race. It's, but it's, these kids uh, are so. I mean, the people who run NASCAR are so subsumed by political race. They actually think their constituency is concerned about it. Exactly, and it's not the case. And 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 and, and to my mind, it, it's it's, it's going to harm NASCAR because those folks are. And you know what? In my opinion, on this thing. The Confederate flag means absolutely nothing to me. If you want to fly it, fly it. You could fly it next door to me. I don't give a damn. For me, 
you know, uh, that battle has been fought and won. It's over. We're uh, one America. We're, 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 you know, we're great American people. We're great American. We have a great American tradition. And part of that is being able to fly whatever flag you want to fly. You know? Yeah, and, and, and it's not as though you, the, the United States government isn't officially acknowledging the Confederacy. I mean, if it's simple, I mean, many of the United States Ar- Army posts are named after Confederate generals. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, Fort Lee, you know, Fort <laughs> Bragg. What do they think these people are? You look at the, 20, the symbol of the, the, the insignia of the 29th Infantry Division, the blue mm-hmm. and the gray. Yeah. I exactly. go on and on with this. I mean, it's not like the Confederacy has been rele- relegated to. Uh, the memory hole of the United States yet? Well, I suspect. I suspect once uh, this administration is done, uh, you know, beating down uh, the Christian faith and Catholicism and 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 and, and religion in general, they'll turn to that next. Fort Lee, uh, they'll they'll be protesters out in front of Fort Lee and Fort Bragg, uh, demanding that the name be changed uh, because of some perceived uh, slight or oppressive uh, oppression, or maybe it's caused somebody to to have a nervous suffer a nervous breakdown. Down or something, and they'll be out. I, 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 they'll get to that sooner <laughs> yeah, or later. Really, it will. It will. I, I don't have yeah. any doubt. I'm telling you, Doc. <laughs> we got to beat back every time we see political correctness. We, we shouldn't just weak, meekly submit to it and say, "Well, you know, they have a point. You know, their sensibilities need to be recognized, and we need to be respectful." No, we don't. We better challenge this, or we're going to lose our freedom. These people are tyrants. They want to impose tyranny and thought control on us. It's you, bit by I bit. ask my so-called fellow, please wake up. Don't please. yield to this. N- n- and you, Don't yield to this. Exactly. You're exactly right. But I think that we have become, as I've stated uh, once or twice before, like the frog in the pot. You know, you toss the frog in a pot of boiling water, he's going to flap around and try to jump out. He might even escape. But if you put him in a pot of nice cool water and put the pot on the stove and turn the heat up just a little bit at a time, next thing you know, the frog is tits up and taking on water. He's done. And I think that's what's happening here. Bit by bit, our American freedoms are being whittled away to the point where we become like a European nation um, and, and, and worse, like Europe back in the 30s and 40s, not Europe now. You know, it would be bad if we were Europe now. Doc, the next brave new frontier for these people is the homosexual rights business. They are looking for their Martin Luther Queen right now. <laughs> and when they find him, Lord have mercy, the floodgates going to open. You're going to think of Mahatma Gandhi all over again. Oh, no, uh, you're, you're exactly right. Him or her. Let's be politically yeah. correct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Him or her. Or well, maybe I, him or transgender him, her. Yeah, him, her, her, him, her. Him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, well, yeah. We don't want to offend anybody. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, once again, thanks, Sarge, for calling in. I do appreciate it. Once again, you've made the show. I want to thank everybody else for listening. We are out of here. We got about, well, we got about, we got less than four minutes left. And so um, we're going to go ahead and play one more T-Mod clip, and then we are out. Thanks once again, Sarge. You are great, man. I appreciate you calling in. You All right. Up. We're out of here. Let T-Mod bring us, take us home. Greetings, folks. T-Mod, back for another drive time. I need to set the record straight on a few things. 
the title of this message is African American is as offensive as nigger. To me. Now, I want y'all to understand where I'm coming from. All of you lily-livered white folks caught up in political correctness, and all of you Negroes or black people caught up in trying to redefine yourself because someone else has a hyphenated term of citizenship. If you refer to me as an African-American on any of my videos of my, my channel, I'm going to block you. I am not an African-American. I have never been to Africa. Africa is a continent to begin with. And for you idiots who are going to come back, well, America is a continent, North America. Fool, I'm talking about the United States of America. That is a country. Get that. So, Africa as a continent offers no citizenship papers. And I've never been there. Neither have my parents. And also, understand this. If it were an appropriate term to call black folks, then what the hell do you do about the, the white folks that are born in Africa, on the continent of Africa? You going to call them African-American too? Jesus Christ. You both kill me with that. Don't call me. African-American. I'm not an African-American. I'm not an African. I'm an American. A U.S. citizen and proud to be one. Keep my out. you and God bless the United States of America. <sighs> Good night, folks.